Good morning. Hey, we're glad you're here, and I do want to remind you of that newsletter. You can go on and you can get it. Comes to your uh, email inbox every week. Gives you all the information you need to know about what's going on at the Bible Chapel, and we uh, just uh, encourage you uh, to participate in that. We also want to thank all of you who have been involved in Vacation Bible School, uh, 800 and still rising. This is probably the uh, potentially the highest uh, group, the largest number of kids that we'll ever have. And with that, we've had to this point, not we'll ever have, but we've had to this point, uh, we have 522 volunteers uh, that are working in this. Melissa Arabia, who heads up our children's ministry, sent me this uh, email. She said, my hands are lifted high in praise as all areas for the week of VBS have enough volunteers. Two days ago, yeah, let's go ahead and thank God for that. <clears throat> When she sent this, she said, two days ago, we needed 15 more crew leaders, uh, and as of this afternoon, uh, not only were all the crew positions filled, but every crew leader has two crew assistants, which is our ideal. Uh, all is good because he is good, to God be the glory. So we thank you for your involvement. It's amazing what we can do, to, isn't it amazing what we can do together? And we have these kids coming, and they're the sole reason that uh, we have these kids coming, that we do this, is to introduce these young lives to Jesus Christ. And their lives will be changed forever. And on September 21st and 22nd, when we have the uh, celebration service and baptism, just about every baptism service we have, uh, the kids, will, or some of them baptized, will say, I came to Christ during vacation Bible school. So be praying for it. Thank you for those of you who are going to be involved in it. And everybody, let's be praying for it, that God would grab these young hearts and again change them for their lives. Let's just do that now. Father, we pray that when this room is filled tomorrow morning with a group of 800 kids, that you would be here in a powerful way with the fun and the teaching and all the decorations and the singing. We know, Lord, as we'll see today, that we only love you because you first loved us. And we pray that you would just interrupt these young lives and you would draw them to yourselves so that they would have their entire lives to love you and serve you and make a difference in their generation. Lord, do your work this coming week and do your work today. We pray, Father, that wherever we are in our, in our walk, whether we are on a hilltop or a valley right now, that you would meet us right where we are. Don't leave us there. Help us to get to that place that you want us to be. We commit our time to you today, and we ask, Lord, that you, just like we're praying, that you interrupt lives tomorrow, that you interrupt our lives today, and, uh, and speak clearly to us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of 1 John, this letter written by one of Jesus' disciples, a man named John, who later in his life took care of Mary, Jesus' mother, after Jesus ascended into heaven. John now is in Ephesus. He uh, is there as an older man. He's probably in his 70s or 80s at a time when life expectancy was 50. He's an elder statesman in the church. And from Ephesus, he writes five books, one of them being this first letter. Probably the recipients of this letter from Ephesus were the churches that we read about in the Revelation. 
uh, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, those churches that we read about in the book of Revelation that John also wrote. John wrote this book for five reasons. If you take out uh, your sermon notes, I want to go through those very quickly. It's always important that we keep this in mind. First, to encourage Christian community. We've been talking about that as we've gone through this series. We want to be those who demonstrate Christian community. By this you will know, Jesus said, you are my disciples if you, what? Love one another. To help believers experience true joy. Some of you are going through some great times. Some of you are going through some challenging times. But there's a joy that comes from Jesus that is, whether the good times or the bad times, it is there. It never leaves because it is centered on Him, not our circumstances. To help believers to avoid falling into patterns of sin. We've been talking about that. To guard believers against false teaching. A lot of error out there. We need to know the truth so we can distinguish truth from error. And to allow all believers to know with certainty that they are children of God. Don't you want to know that? I grew up, I grew up uh, until I was in my 20s not knowing for sure if I was a believer. I trusted in Christ, but I had never been taught about the certainty of that. And I got to tell you, when I learned of that, it was like a, a boulder lifted from my shoulders. For the first time, I was free to really serve Jesus uh, in a way with confidence, knowing that I was his child and would forever be. And John wants us to know that. Here at the Bible Chapel, we want you to know that. That's when you can begin to live with confidence. In John's younger days, he and his brother were arrogant. They were brash. They were impulsive. Jesus nicknamed them sons of thunder. But in his older days, John still is black and white. He still calls it as it is. But he has taken in his life a theme of love. Love. In fact, this son of thunder became known as the apostle of love. An early church uh, leader named Jerome, who lived in the 300s and 400s, wrote in a commentary. He's writing a commentary in Galatians, and he's writing about John. And he said in John's older days, he was so frail and feeble that they had to carry him into church. And when they would carry him into church there in Ephesus, John kept saying, little children love one another. Little children love one another. Little children love one another. Finally, some guy said, why do you keep saying that? Jerome says, John said, it is the Lord's command. And if this is be done, it is enough. And that's why when John writes his book, his first letter, 43 times, 43 times, he mentions agape, love. And in our passage today, chapter 4, verses 7 through 12, 13 times, we're going to see it again. Let me read through the passage, and then I want to I talk about what we're going to call today transformational love. Three things about transformational love from this passage. Let's read it. We'll get it in our minds. Then we'll drill down on the verses. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not know God, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. 
In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, some of your translations may say atoning sacrifice, for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to what? Love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. All right, let's work through this passage. John says in chapter 4, verse 7, Beloved, so we know that he is writing to believers. He's writing to those who have trusted in Jesus Christ alone, not as a good way or one of many ways, but the only way you can have a relationship with the living God. Here are people who know the love of God. They've experienced it. And John says, let us love one another. That's the first command he gives. And then he explains it. For love is from God. He's going to drill down that a lot on this passage. And whoever loves two things about a person who knows God, who loves God, who's been changed transformationally by Jesus. They've been born of God. That's the first thing John says. Uh, John in his gospel quotes Jesus as saying you have to be born again. There are other passages that say you have to be born from above. And here is this transformational thing that happens in our heart. We are, Ephesians 2 says, dead in our trespasses and sins. We are a spiritual corpse. We can't reach out to Jesus. But because he loved us first, he transforms our heart, and we are born from above. We'll talk more about that as we go. So two things are happening. If we know Jesus, we have been born of God, we know that, and we know God. That's not intellectual assent or knowing about God or knowing some facts about God. That is an experience, a personal relationship with the living God. Do you have that? Do you have a personal relationship with the living God? I'm not asking about confirmation. I'm not asking about your baptism. I'm not asking about what you did in your youth. I'm asking you, do you have and do you know for sure that you have a personal relationship with the living God? That word knows means an intimate relationship. It means not something I used to know and forgot. It means it remains. It's there. It continues on. The person who demonstrates God's love has been born of God and knows God. Now, in verse 8, anyone who does not know God does not love. The person who doesn't love doesn't know God. And the reason for that, John says, because God is love. The essence of God's character, God's attribute. He is love. And so John's saying, just work out the logic. If God lives in you through his spirit, and if God is love, that love is in you, and that love is expressed through you. God is love living in you and expresses that love through you. Okay, let's slow down and think about this word love. In our culture, love gets thrown around all the time, right? It's an emotional experience that between two people. Um, uh, it, it, it's, um, you know, it, it's, a, it's a physical um, love between two people. I don't have to explain that. It's a craving for something like last uh, time I said I loved Missy's cinnamon rolls uh, from Guthrie, Oklahoma, and I really do love Missy's cinnamon rolls. There's a craving for that, but the but the, but love in Scripture, it's different. 
God is the source of this love. And when God's the source of it, living within us, it expresses itself in concrete action. Love is not abstract. It's not a theory. It's an action that takes place in our life. It's produced not on our own, but it's produced because God is living in us. Now, the best commentary on Scripture is Scripture, and so if we want to know what love looks like, we go back to 1 Corinthians 13. won't ask you to turn there, but in 1 Corinthians 13, there are 16 descriptions of love. Paul says, this is what love looks like. Let me go through them real quick. Love is patient. Love's kind. Love's not jealous. It doesn't boast. It's not arrogant. It's not rude, not selfish, not irritable, not resentful. It celebrates truth. It never celebrates rebellion. Love bears with others' faults. It believes the best in others. It has confidence in the future. It perseveres. It never gives up. Love never gives up. That's a pretty serious description, isn't it? Has anyone fulfilled the definition of love this past week? I certainly haven't. When I read that list, I thought, man, I have been impatient. And there have been times I've been envious. And I've been rude with a couple people. I even sent a text apologizing. All the staff were looking at their phones to see if that was them. <laughs> I certainly had a couple of irritable moments. I was, I was getting in our pantry, and um, I, I was pulling something out. And a, um, a bottle, a big bottle of vinegar, glass bottle, broke and just shattered at my feet. I was not very happy. I blamed it on Lori. <clears throat> How dare she put the vinegar where it was supposed to be? I would never do that. And it took me a little bit to clean up that mess, about 15 or 20 minutes. I'm still trying to clean up the mess with Lori since I blamed her. But I just thought back, man, that was not, that was not my best moment. That was not a demonstration of love. So as believers, we're not perfect. But as a believer, there is within us the Holy Spirit who says, really shouldn't have done that. You really screwed that up. There's a confession. There's a desire to apologize. And that's ongoing. So we see that aspect of love in the life of a believer. But here's another question. Some of you may be saying, this love thing, I know a lot of people who never profess to be Christians who demonstrate love, right? Wouldn't you, wouldn't, wouldn't you agree? I mean, there are a lot of people far from God who really, really love their kids and love their spouse. And you go around the world and see people from different religions. They demonstrate love so we're talking about if God's in us, then we demonstrate this love, but other people demonstrate love, and we know God's not in them. So how does that work? How does that work? In theology, there's this thing called common grace. We are made in the image of God, every person. And being made in the image of God, every person, has what are called communicable or transferable attributes. 
in one of God's transferable attributes is for all people made in his image to have the capacity to love. Not perfectly, but a non-believer, God's not in their heart, because of common grace, has the capacity to love. And so you say, okay, what? So, so what's the deal then? What's different? What's different than a, with a Christian's love than a non-believer's love? What's different than a person who's trusted in Christ, their love, and someone who's far from God, their love? What's different? Here it is. Here's a kicker. The person who truly loves God through Jesus Christ demonstrates action. God loves them. He lives in them. Love flows out. And two things are going to happen. Our demonstration of love is always going to be an act of worship to God because we know we can't love a lick unless he first loved us. And then the true distinctive is this. In that conversation, someplace, there's always going to be Jesus. The believer's love always expresses Jesus, talks about Jesus. Because isn't that the ultimate love? I mean, you can mow a neighbor's grass, and you can shovel their sidewalk or their driveway, and you can do all those good deeds... Why do you do them? Because there is a desire down in you to have the opportunity to say, I love because of Jesus. For the believer, Jesus is always in the conversation. So that's another question we have to ask ourselves. Is Jesus always in our conversation? I'm not saying the first time you meet someone. I'm saying as you know them, as you express your love to them, is that driving to a conversation about Jesus? Because let's face it, you can mow their grass and you can shove their sidewalk. But at the end of the day, that person is going to die and be separated from God for eternity without Jesus. And so God's love within us always drives us to that conversation. So we could say it this way. Transformational love flows from God to believers to others. And Jesus is always in the conversation. Transformational love, two things, is supernatural. It comes from God. And transformational love is Christ-centered, always Christ-centered. He is the source of our love. Second aspect of transformational love is this. It flows from God and involves significant sacrifice. Look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 9. In this, the love of God was manifest among us. Okay, John, in what? How did God manifest his love to us? Well, John says, let me tell you. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. 
God loved you so much that he sent his son Jesus Christ into the world that we might live for him, through him. So, John, why did Jesus send, why, why did God send his son into the world? Well, look at verse 10. Verse 10. In this love, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. Remember, we're dead in our trespasses and sins. Ephesians chapter 2. God, God breathes into us life. He loved us so that we can love others. But he sent his son. Here's what he did sending his son into the world. He sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The propitiation for our sins. Let's think about that. Some of your translations might say atoning sacrifice. It means appeasement. God sent his son into the world as the appeasement or the atoning sacrifice for our sins. What does that mean? In Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God says, remember, told Adam and Eve, don't eat from the tree in the middle of the garden. If you do, you will surely die. Genesis 3, they ate of the tree, and death entered the human race. Spiritual death, separation from God. Physical death, they started to die physically. And then eternal death, left to themselves, separated from God forever. And God said, you shall surely die. And in that, God said there's a penalty of sin. And his wrath was poured out on sin. And so we have Genesis 3, this happening, the wrath of God poured out on sin. That's what a person looks like on their own. God says the penalty of sin is death. And it's going to be death for eternity. But I don't want that to happen. So God manifests his love to us in this, that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to be what? A propitiation or an atoning sacrifice or an appeasement for our sin. So here's God's wrath. God's immutable. He doesn't change. His wrath is poured out. But he sent Jesus into the world to take his wrath on himself. Jesus took God's wrath. Jesus took the, the hell, the fury of God's judgment on your sin and my sin. Scripture says he took our sin in his body on the cross. And so a believer simply does this. A believer says, Jesus died for me and I trust in Jesus as the one who paid the penalty for my sin. I trust in Jesus as the one who appeased the penalty of sin and the wrath of God. That makes sense? Three verses. Uh, I, I want to show you here real quick. Three verses. Jot these down. John chapter 3, verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. So John says, here we are here. Whoever believes in the Son, right, has eternal life. But whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the what? The wrath of God remains on him. He stays over here on this side, chooses to stay on this side. The wrath of God remains on him. 
First Thessalonians chapter one, verses, uh, second part of verse nine and then 10. You turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who what? Delivers us, saves us, rescues us from the wrath to come. That's why when we demonstrate love, Jesus is always in the conversation because he's the only one who can rescue us from the wrath to come. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, God did not destine us for wrath. He, di- he didn't want us to stay over here, but to obtain salvation one way through our Lord Jesus Christ. How do we even begin to, to demonstrate that love? Well, first, we've got to understand the depth of it. That's something we need to reflect on. That's why we take communion once a month. That's why you need, we need to be in God's Word. We want to be those who demonstrate this great love that God has for us. We want to be those who say, God has loved me so much. He lives in my heart, and I want that love to show out to others And in that love, there always has to be a conversation about Jesus. Look at verse 11 and 12. Beloved, if God so loved us, what do we do? We've got to love one another. Now again, let's go back. God loved us by doing what? Sending his son to die for us on the cross. That's how he so loved us. Appeased God's wrath. And John is saying, if God so loved us by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us, then we should love one another. And now that's going to take look like some practical action, and that's going to be some practical stuff. But it's always going to have Jesus in the conversation. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us. John's not saying if we do these works of loving one another, then God abides in us. He's saying as proof that God lives in you, you'll demonstrate love. God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. What's John, what's John saying here? He, he is saying He's saying transformational love that comes from God. When God is in your heart through the Holy Spirit, when transformational heart abides in you through God, two things are going on. One, you know that God lives in you. When you are demonstrating the love of Christ, when when you are demonstrating love and Jesus is in that conversation, then you know that the love of God lives in you. And I love the second part. His love is perfected in us. You say, wait, perfected? What are you talking about? We just went through the characteristics of of, of, uh, of uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, and we're saying we're not, we're not perfect. Well, here's what it means. It means God's love is completed, or God's love is fulfilled. Here's what it means. God's love does what it's intended to do. When we love one another. Transformational love, third point. Flows from God and is completed when we love one another. That's what God intended it to do. Okay, so over the last months, here at the Bible Chapel, we've been talking about what we desire, what we want. 
And one of the things we've been saying is we desire that people find Jesus. Now that doesn't mean they have to come in here for them to find Jesus. That means we want to be a community that shares the gospel in such a way, whether it's over coffee at our home, whether it's at our job in the appropriate way, or whether they bring them to people to vacation Bible school, it doesn't matter. But we desire to be a place where people find Jesus because finding Jesus is the only thing that will deliver them from what? The wrath to come. This is urgent. We said we want to be a place where believers grow deeper because we don't want a ho-hum, second-shelf Christian life. We want to be those who, who have a conviction of the love of God in our heart. We want that conviction to pour through us. We don't want to be a secret Christian. We want others to know we want to be growing deeper in our walk. Find Jesus, grow deeper. And then we said, we want to be a community where people experience, we want to be a place where people experience, not just hear about, but they experience community and they experience care. We want to be, we want to be the New Testament church, a place where people can come and they can interact together and they can walk this life together. Christian life never is to be walked alone. So community, one of the ways we can do that, one, in Christian care is on Monday morning when you go to work, you demonstrate appropriately, you're not a Bible thumper, you don't have to have a Bible on your desk, but you demonstrate the love of Jesus Christ. And if you do that, I can promise you there's going to be a time when someone comes into you and they say, that person may be far from God, the last person you thought would, would say something like this, they're going to say to you, there is something different about you. I don't know what, I know you're not perfect, but there's something different. And then you get to say what? You get to express true love with a conversation about Jesus. They're going to walk in one day and say, you know what? My husband just left me last night. I got up this morning and learned my wife just left me. And they're going to come to you because you have demonstrated what love is appropriately at work. And you get to have a conversation about Jesus. That's what it might look like at work. If you're a student, what it might look like at school is you walk into a cafeteria and your group's over there, but there's one person sitting by himself or herself. Love looks like going and sitting with that person. It's action, right? It's breaking the clicks, de-clicking the community. By the way, there are clicks in junior high, right? There are clicks in high school. There are clicks with 30-year-olds and 60-year-olds and 80-year-olds. But true community is a click breaker. Because we realize it's not just about us. We are here to allow the love of God to flow through us to others. And so when you come in, we ask you when you come in. Man, think about what we do with Vacation Bible School. It takes all of us to do that. 
And it takes all of us working together to do true community. When you come in, find someone you don't know. First, get here on time, okay? Just do that first. Then find someone you don't know. Don't just go to your seat and be irritated if someone's already sitting there. There are no assigned seats here. (laughs) Go to your seat, or go to a seat, mix it up. Mix it up. And meet someone you've never met before. Not your small group. You're going to see them. You're going to see them this week or the next week. Meet some people you've never met before. Try to get to know them. Maybe something's going on in their life you could pray for. Community building. One person at a time. Social media. Man, we got a tremendous opportunity to use social media for, uh, for sharing the love of Christ, not some of the stuff we do. Over the last months, so that's community. Let's talk about care. Over the last months, we, we've really taken a hard look inside, and we said, you know what? We're pretty good at triage, but ongoing care, we kind of stink at. And that's not what the church does. And so we started thinking about how do, how, do we, how do we do this in a way that truly keeps up with people, that truly ministers to people in an ongoing way. So we had some people on our staff. Uh, Jen Booth um, developed um, uh, a system where we could keep track of people in a, in a way. So technology. Karen Ryan uh, is over that system. And we said, every pastor is going to be involved in caregiving. We're not going to have a caregiving pastor. Every pastor is going to be involved in caregiving at their age and at their stage. If your student is in um, the hospital, you don't want anyone but the student pastor going to see them, right? Or a team that's built by the student pastor. So every pastor, age and stage, is in charge of their area's care. Now they got to build a team to do that. And we're not talking about just triage stuff. We're talking about ongoing, making sure we follow up. Now, we need everyone to be involved in this. We can, we can do things as a staff and lead the way. By the way, staff wear badges a lot of times at church, and our motto is, badge on Sundays, badges don't talk to badges. We need to be out talking among the congregation. So if you see a badge talking to a badge, <laughs> citizens arrest. Man, you just take them down. <laughs> take them down right there. We need you to be involved in, in caregiving. So two things. If you're going through something, maybe no one else knows it. You say, you know what, I'm not, I'm not to the point where I'm in a small group yet or I'm not really connected yet. We still want to care for you. That's what, that's what the community does. So, caregiving at biblechapel.org. Just let us know what's going on so we can follow. And then the wherever, age stage, right? Pastors are going to call you and get, it, and, 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 and get you going on that. Or their team. Secondly, so if you're involved, if you need some help, 
Secondly, if you know of someone else going through a tough time, caregiving at biblechapel.org. Don't assume they're already in the system, okay? Let us know, hey, this person's really going through a tough time. Now, before you do that, before you ever tell us about another person, you have to have their permission. Some people, for whatever reason, don't, don't want anyone else to know. But with their permission, then call or email us. You can call too. Uh, uh, email us and let us know. Third thing, it's going to take all of us. It's going to take all of us. If you want to be on a caregiving team, email caregiving at biblechapel.org. And whatever age and stage you're in, that pastor will contact you and say, I'm building this team. Let's do it together. Because together, we can take care of each other, right? Together, we can take care of each other. But not just a few people. Because we're going to miss really having, uh, um, caring, having an impact on people's lives. By the way, that's what the church has always done. In the early times, Rome was a great place to live. Man, there were roads all over the place. Circuses came to town. There was entertainment. It was a great place to live. Unless you were weak or sick or poor. Many times, those who were destitute were left out on the streets to die. Just laying on the streets. If babies were born that had any special needs, they were taken to the fields to be exposed. When girls were born, born into a poor family, the dad knew that by Roman law, the girl could never work and make a living on her own. That was Roman law. And he also knew that he was going to have to pay a dowry one day. So he would take a little girl and put her in the fields. Slaves were shipped off. Old slaves were shipped off to the Isle of Tiber, of Tiber to die. Uh, baby farmers... Back to those little girls. Baby farmers would go to the fields. They called them baby farmers. They would go to the fields and get those little girls. And what do you think they did with them? Raised them to be sex slaves. In around 200 AD, the plague of Cyprian hit the area. And uh, it just spread through. Millions of people died. They would just put them on the street to die because if, if you don't want to be diseased in your home so you can't have them home, there were no hospitals, so you just lay on the street. People were just laying in the street dying. And that's when the Christians stepped in. They were the ones who actually went to the fields. They tried to beat the baby farmers to the fields so they could take those little girls and, and those with special needs and raise them in Christian homes. And in Rome... When this plague of Cyprian, one of many plagues, plagues killed millions of people then. When the, when the plague of Cyprian came, uh, a lot of the uh, officials left Rome and went to the rural areas so they could stay away from the plague, but not the Christians. They stayed there. 
and they took care of they took care of the sick and dying. They buried the dead. This is one of the first times the Christians actually uh, started taking care of pagans. It didn't matter. They wanted to show the love of Jesus. Many of them got sick, and many of them died. On Easter Sunday, 260 A.D., a bishop of Corinth named Dionysius praised the efforts of the Christians, many of whom had died while caring for others. Listen to what he, what he said. Most of our Christians, or most of our brother Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ, and with them departed this life serenely happy. That's something. They were dying because they contracted disease. But uh, Dionysus said they departed this life serenely happy. For they were infected by others with disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepted their pains. Why did they cheerfully accept the pains? Because of Jesus. You see, true Christian love, Jesus is always in the conversation. The worship team is going to come out and and sing a song. At some point, they'll ask us to stand and sing it with them. But I wanted to read some of the words as they're coming out. You came to the world you created, trading your crown for a cross. You willingly died Your innocent life paid the cost. That's atonement. That's propitiation. Counting your status as nothing, the king of all kings came to serve, washing my feet, covering me with your love. And the chorus goes like this. If more of you means less of me, take everything. Yes, all of you is all I need. Take everything. Let the worship team sing it over us and then they'll invite us to stand at some point. Father, let this be our prayer. Let these words sink into our heart. Lord, if more of you means less of me, and it always does, then do your work in our hearts today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.
Counting your status as nothing The King of all kings came to serve Washing my feet Covering me with your love If more of you means less of me Take everything Yes, all of you is all I need Take everything well, You are my life and my treasure one that I can't live without Here at your feet my desires and dreams I lay down Here at your feet my desires and dreams I lay down If more Stand and sing with us. If more of you means less of me, take everything. Oh, yes, all of you is all I need. Take everything. Oh, Lord, change me like only.
We have a prayer team that would love to pray with you regardless of whatever is going on in your life. And again, we can really care for each other, right? If we do it together. If we do it together. Father, we pray that you would help us to be a community that experiences true care for each other. Help us to demonstrate to a watching world what it looks like when believers truly love each other. Father, we pray that your son would smile as we think about his words. Here's how people are going to know you truly belong to me if you love one another. Be with us as we strive to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.